As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to four to six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast on the Athletic. Bill Landis joined as always by Ari Wasserman. We have a schedule. Again, Ari, we have a schedule to uh, dissect and poke and prod and figure out what's going to happen at the end of it. Spoiler alert, Ohio State's going to win all of its games and probably win the Big Ten. But we're going to talk about it in a suspenseful manner anyway because the Big Ten graced us with a new 2020 schedule over the weekend. We have that to talk about. We're going to get into our position group breakdowns. We have, I counted this up, from today's episode, we have... 10 episodes until Ohio State kicks off against Nebraska. Why do we have 10 episodes? Because from this point forward, we're going to start doing two shows a week. Yeah, I thought you you leaked it. You said we had 10 episodes before announcing the two shows a week thing. And then I was like, well, you put out a, a little leak there. I like to little keep hint. them off balance. Let's keep them off balance. Yeah. 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 I hope they're happy about that. I'm happy about it. I'm happy about it. Two shows a week moving forward. Uh, one around this time i think if if not on a monday then possibly on a sunday but but certainly no later than mondays moving forward and then another show later in the week either a, a thursday or friday i guess we still have to iron that out probably thursday and that show will be uh pretty heavy subscriber q a theathletic.com slash four dash six get you one dollar per month subscription and you can sign up and you can ask us questions for those shows we'll also take questions from apple five star reviews and we'll do those later in the week. We'll do some game previews once the games roll around, too. But but moving forward from us, you can expect two shows per week. Double dose of Villanari in your eardrums every week. God, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And people thought that the games coming back were the treat. Really what it is, yeah. You get to hear us <laughs> now for up to about two hours per week now. Plus yeah, there's football, but, you know. Yeah, you get, you get about 40 minutes of football talk and 120 about fast food french french fries but yeah, yeah you know yeah it's good you know what you're signing up for so we'll, we're gonna do position breakdowns over the next couple episodes we'll start today with quarterback and then at the end of the show we will go back on the trail talk recruiting and talk about the extended dead period and how that impacts ohio state but first sorry let's talk about the schedule actually you know what let's not do the schedule first i have a question for you yeah what did oj simpson order for lunch <laughs> i was in uh Las Vegas for the weekend, and uh, we went to a sports bar with some friends to watch the NFL games. And it was not a sports bar. It was one of those um, video places that have a ton of TVs because all like B-dubs and all those places were. And I was just minding my own business playing video poker and, you know, sipping on a drink. And then all of a sudden my friend looks up and goes, there's juice. And I went, what do you mean? Like, is that a drink on the menu? And he goes, no, there's juice. <laughs> And I, and I turned my head around, and OJ was just sitting there with like five people, like not just watching the games, but super into them. 
and I feel like I saw O.J. Simpson in his element this week. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a pretty wild experience. I don't know how I would like take all that in. He's obviously a very complicated figure, but yeah. it's, it's got to be pretty surreal to see O.J. Simpson sitting, you know, a hundred feet away from you. Yeah, I mean, apparently, if you live in Vegas or like go there a lot, that the odds of that happening are a little bit higher than you think because, um, you know, he's kind of in his little bubble, and I was in Henderson, so I wasn't like on the strip. But yeah, I mean, I didn't want to bother him. <laughs> I just, uh, I just think it's funny because whenever you uh, hear a story about O.J. Simpson sightings people always like refer to him as juice and like when you're in the moment near oj and somebody refers to him as juice you don't put together what they're talking about yeah it's like the dave Chappelle stand-ups <laughs> hey mr juice hey, mr. like juice. <laughs> yeah uh but yeah he uh seemed to be having a nice afternoon and i left shortly thereafter but it was uh nice to share a restaurant with him for a few hours i guess i've been to vegas twice and the first time they were both last year and the first time i went it was in uh, the summer, and I was sitting in the Carnegie Deli at uh, the Mirage having lunch, and Dennis Rodman walked in and sat at the table next to me. That was pretty cool. Which one do you think was a cooler sighting? I mean, OJ, OJ for sure. But Dennis Rodman was pretty cool. Some lady said, uh, Mr. Rodman, can I get, take a picture of you and, and my husband? And he just turned at her and stared at her like right through her soul and said no, <laughs> and then sat down and ate his lunch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like... Whenever you would see something like that with celebrities, like you would get it, like that's mean. Just take the picture, but I feel like if it happens like every five minutes, yeah, like over over the time, like I can understand why you wouldn't want to do it anymore. But you know, well, people ask Landis to take pictures of him uh, on the way into Ohio State football games every now and then. I've never been stopped for a picture. I have been stopped uh, very nicely. I will add by people who say they like our work or they like our, our podcast one time we were stopped outside of a rest stop in iowa and you and i were both there and they said something to me and didn't say anything to you yeah <laughs> bill love your guys's podcast or i love your podcast and i was standing next to him i was like okay dude <laughs> you're, yeah you're you know you're the handsome one you're the recognizable <clears throat> one that's right i'm the face of the operation you're, uh, the, you're the brains <clears throat> what a face yeah. all right let's talk about ohio state's 2020 schedule uh they open with nebraska the weekend of october 24th the big one, I think the most interesting thing that came out of it was at Penn State in the second week, Halloween weekend. We don't know if that's going to be a Friday or Saturday, a night game or a day game. I don't really know if it matters all that much because there's no fans. But that's like the Big Ten East is probably going to be decided in the second week of the regular season. So we can talk about that. But our, I guess just like overall thoughts on the schedule coming out. It's eight games plus the ninth Champions Week game, whatever that's going to be. Uh, Urban Meyer on Fox said, well, that's an easy schedule. Um, and I tend to agree with him. What were your first thoughts when you saw this come out? Uh, my first thought, and you have to remember, I was uh, three hours behind you this weekend, and like I woke up and just turned on the TV to turn on game day uh, Saturday morning, and they were releasing the schedule little by little on ESPN, and I saw that they were opening up in Nebraska, and I laughed audibly in my hotel room because – I like was the first person to see this in my head. Like I didn't realize this was a running joke on Twitter for the previous hour, but I just tweeted. So all of Nebraska's hard work gets them to open up with Ohio State, and like I was like the 900th person to say that. Yeah. But like it's like that was the first thing that stood out to me. The second thing that stood out to me is is that the schedule kind of mirrors like what we were talking about when making our own fake schedules in the past on this podcast. You know, you have an, uh, a manageable opener, maybe not the easiest opener in the world, but certainly manageable. Then you play one of your hardest games on your schedule in week two. Then there's a bunch of blowouts in the middle, and then you close with Michigan State and Michigan. And like I think that that's the perfect scenario. You know, legitimize yourself early in the year. Um, have what like six weeks of uh, lag time or five weeks of lag time in the middle to a uh, you know avoid l- losing and b maybe giving yourself some time at least from like a coronavirus standpoint, like if something terrible happens in terms of people getting sick, there's a lot of games in the middle of the season there that would be very winnable regardless of what happens. And I think that like, I don't know if that's, is that like appropriate analysis right now? Like like I don't kind of a, it's no, I don't know if it is or not, but it's also like the world world we're living in. So yeah. Like, and I, again, it's just like, it's a weird year, but like we're breaking down the schedule right now. And unfortunately in a world that, the coronavirus does exist that's still part of the discussion isn't it like i don't know like if people are gonna be like what an insensitive asshole but like it's like one of the things that i thought of like if they can get through the penn state game two and oh then 
you know, they have a month and a half potentially of potential like medical advancements and different things that can come to help them manage their schedule better. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone knows what we're dealing with here. Even Ryan Day said as much when we talked to him last week. You know, like games are going to get canceled. In the Big Ten's case, I guess they're not going to get moved around, but they'll get moved around in other leagues. And I think most coaches around the country who have teams that are playing this fall understand that they're going to encounter weeks where they're not going to have some guys or, or, you know, very important guys. Um, And that's even happening. Notre Dame didn't have a couple guys against um, South Florida. They just announced today. I mean, they weren't there, so everybody knew why they weren't there. But – they didn't have a handful of guys. Uh, Houston and Baylor were canceled, like right before they were supposed to play. So that's what's going to happen. So I think it's okay to talk about it, and and I think it's unfortunate. An unfortunate piece of context, I guess, when you're talking about the schedule is the fact that yeah, there is you know, Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan State all in a row is not exactly a murderer's row of, of football opponents. So you, get you know what I remember, Bill? What's that? Um, for the first year Urban Meyer was the head coach, um, and I was a young reporter on the beat. He used to complain every week because Ohio State had three less scholarships. And, like, I don't know if you remember that or not, but, like, that was one of the penalties that he was facing when he took over the program. And, like, he used to say three scholarships is is a huge difference. And I used to be like, dude, like, it's like one less long snapper and less kicker, like, you're fine. And it's like then I saw, like, Notre Dame lose eight players, and I thought that is going to be a very significant – thing and I don't know what eight players they were if there were any starters on there but then Notre Dame won by 100 yeah and like I'm very curious to know like and see like how many of the teams in the middle like Rutgers Maryland Indiana Illinois and maybe even Michigan State to some extent this year uh, between the middle of or the between early November and early December how many players Ohio State could play without and still win those those games and I'd say 20 Rutgers I don't even know I mean Rutgers I think yeah Rutgers and Maryland. I think I said that Ohio State's twos would beat Nebraska, right? Didn't I say like two episodes ago that Ohio State's twos would be like a two-touchdown favorite against Nebraska? Yeah. Um, You know how I I like Indiana. I don't. That's not. That's not as much of a cakewalk. I think. Like I would. I would separate them from Rutgers, Maryland, Illinois, and probably even Michigan State this year. Um, Indiana is their third toughest opponent. Which is kind Mm -hmm. of an insane thing to say, but like they they were supposed to play Iowa and they lost Iowa. They were supposed to play Purdue. In the second version of the schedule, and that game's not going, or that game's now gone too. But I think even Indiana is better than Purdue, so it's a it's at home. Like I, I mean, Ohio State's going to win, but they're not as much of a pushover, I think, as these other four teams were were lumping them in with. So, like, people think that Ohio State caught a break here. Well, there's like no, I guess they did, but there's like not there's not any kind of conspiracy about this. And, and Scott Docterman, who covers Iowa for us made this point even before the schedule came out. He said, here's what I think is going to happen. They're going to keep all of the permanent crossover opponents, which were on a cycle from 2016 through next year. They were all supposed to be played at the East team's home field, and that was Ohio State versus Nebraska. So all those stayed. And then he said, I also think they'll keep the East at West games were previously scheduled because then you balance out the schedule with four home and four away, and that was Ohio State versus Illinois. So the reason that Iowa was not on the schedule is because Iowa was supposed to be a home game. And Ohio State needed four home games and four road games. So, like, it's not – it worked out really well in their favor, but all they did was just take their original schedule and lop off one game. Yeah. I like to think the idea of the Big Ten, like, handing it to Nebraska because of annoyance would have been the better story. But I uh, – you know, yeah, I just, like, the one game that I think that, that you could – say like would be better if they had or if they could put on Ohio State schedule as one of the better crossovers whether it be Minnesota or Wisconsin from the west um but they lost the one game that was kind of going to be an annoying game that Purdue opponent um I don't know like I I think Ohio State would beat Purdue handily but like that team always gives them weird struggles like if you're going to take one of the like uh supposed cakewalk conference crossovers off the schedule like that would be the one you would pick right so as long as Rondell Moore was playing yeah yeah. so um like but I do like the idea that Ohio State gets relevant or has the opportunity to get relevant early with a potential win at Penn State and they get the the road game um at Beaver Stadium out of the way without having to play uh with fans because like also it's important to remember too that like there's no fans now I think just family right and Mm -hmm. uh if Penn State was playing Ohio State December 5th, then maybe that would have changed by then because I do think that they might revisit that, um, especially now that you're seeing 
fan gatherings at other games. Like, I was, like, watching the Cowboys game yesterday, and if you weren't... There were a lot of people there. <laughs> there were a ton of people there. It was, like, and 25% like, of an 80,000 seat stadium, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was the second coolest spectacle, uh, besides the craziest onside kick I've ever seen in my entire life. And I don't know if you want to break that down, Mr. X's and O's guy, but, like, I was laying on my back um, at... Uh, Brittany's grandma's house watching it and sometimes I forget we're doing a podcast I'm just talking to you (laughs) Brittany's my girlfriend she's beautiful (laughs) um but we were she was visiting her grandma and I was watching it and like this poor lady was just like half asleep and the onside kick came and nobody touched it and then it went past 10 yards and I went whoa and I like a sit up and I screamed and I startled her because like I had never seen anything like that before um I didn't see it live, but I watched the replay, and yeah, I just thought, like, yeah. why? Why is no one touching the ball? <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think that like this schedule for Ohio State's national championship hopes is literally ideal. This is exactly the way I would have drawn it up for Ohio State. You want them to play the big games. They get all their East opponents, and they're spread out well enough to a endure maybe any unforeseen circumstances in, in regards to mitigating, and you know dealing with the virus and on the other hand they still get Michigan last and Penn State early I think is great the one question I wanted to ask you um, is that in a season where you might only play eight or nine games uh, depending on how you do in eight or nine consecutive weeks with some cancellations potentially uh, at risk would you have altered and I know we've had this conversation before but would you have altered on this specific schedule where you placed Michigan yeah, I think I think I probably would have, and it's the same discussion we've had before. It's just like making sure you can get it in, like like you said. Um, I don't know what this is. It's it's kind of strange that they put out that second schedule and they moved the Michigan game up, and then they put out a third schedule and, and put the rivalries back at the end of it. Like I I don't know, I don't know what they're trying to tell us other than maybe they feel confident that with their daily testing they're going to get through the whole thing, um, or maybe they didn't want to be as you know, blatantly transparent about this being a money grab and for television rights as they were the last time, even though it is. And, and I, I don't think that's shocking to anybody. Um, so I probably would have moved it up. I like spacing out Penn State and Michigan, but I maybe would have slotted Michigan in like where they have the Illinois game maybe, um, which is the first week of December, I think. Instead, it's the or the last week of – I guess that's it's Thanksgiving week, right? Last week of November, it's Thanksgiving yeah. week, yeah. So kind of in its traditional spot, even if it's not the last game of the year. Um but I don't really know what you're doing. Like, if you're in a season where there's already no wiggle room to have bye weeks anyway, it's like, I don't, I'm not sure it makes much of a difference where you put that game. Because how are you supposed to, like, we, we think in Thanksgiving week we'll have a better chance of playing this game than we do December 12th. Like, how could you possibly know that? So, it's yeah. nice to it's nice that it's at the end again. It's nice that it'll be, it'll be before the Big Ten Championship. Um, yeah, I, I could have gone either way. If they could play it at the end and keep it in the spot, that's ideal. I think just for the sake of preserving it, that they should have moved it up just in case that it needed to be suspended. Because at that point, if the, if they can't play that game for whatever reason and it's December 12th, then we, I don't even know if you can make that up. And it's like it'd be, to me, a shame that if Ohio State managed to play Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana, and Illinois and then doesn't play Michigan. And like that's like maybe worst-case scenario, but like also an important thing that I wanted to bring up because that game's the most important game on the schedule. Yeah. I do think like what what this has really nothing to do with the Big Ten, but the Pac-12 is like trying. It seems like it's trying to get a season off the ground that would start like the first week of November. Say that were to happen, what percentage chance would you give that the playoff committee might take that information and push back its final rankings date and push back the playoff by a couple weeks? And maybe give the Big Ten a little more runway to try to play eight games instead of playing eight games in eight weeks. Yeah, I don't know how much pool the playoff committee would have on scheduling decisions. Um, I personally have been on this high horse a hundred times on this podcast, but I wish that they would push it back. I wish they'd push everything back. And not so much um, just because of the Big Ten, but to have everybody included. Like if Oregon is awesome. Like, I think Oregon should have every right to be in the conversation the same way anybody would expect to be to say that if Ohio State didn't have the right. Um, I do find it interesting that there are a lot of games being canceled right now and, and, and postponed. There are a lot of games where people are missing, and I do think that everybody collectively could use extra time. 
And I think that, like, when you look at the schedule, it looks amazing right now. But, like, I just don't know how the Big Ten is going to manage when and probably when one of the games or more gets canceled because there's no wiggle room at all. And this is the entire thing I was blasted for with the SEC fans three weeks ago. Push everything back, start in October, everybody get on the same page and roll. And, like, we're kind of, like, in that scenario now with Ohio State um, and the Big Ten playing in October. But, like, if the Pac-12 plays a week and a half or two weeks later and starts November 1, then, like, it, you could space out the SEC schedule a little bit more or push some of the things back and, you know, give people more chance to, you know, mitigate the risk of having things happen. But today's Monday, September 21st, and the first SEC games are Saturday. So I don't know if you can alter a schedule while it's happening. Um, but I do think that, like, if you added in those two extra flex bye weeks and pushed everything back for everyone, that it would be A, better for everybody to, you know, give them more time to, you know, get things done in a very unflexible time. <laughs> and un- it's one of those times where you just don't know what's going to happen. So uh, that would be good. And then, of course, getting everybody back on the same page. So I don't know how realistic that is, but in my ideal world, that's that hasn't changed just because Ohio State's playing. My ideal world was always everybody playing uh, to some degree and everybody having a chance. And, like, if the Mac's not playing, I think that sucks. There's a lot of Mac fans in Ohio and a lot of people who enjoy watching Mac on Wednesday nights or whatever. I certainly did. But if you have the Power 5 conferences playing, then I think that you can have this season and get them all in the same pack. And I'm, like, big on the playoff race and national champion. Like, that's the whole thing. And it just, to me, I still think there's going to be a small asterisk if the if the Pac-12 doesn't play. And it's not that I don't think that USC or Oregon's better than the big three teams right now, but you still want to beat everybody. And if you don't, that's still kind of a mildly watered-down product to me. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the the and this is all purely hypothetical. Like the committee couldn't say like SEC hold off and start later. Like those games are already slotted in the in the TV times and and CBS isn't gonna be like oh okay yeah we'll just push it back three weeks. But I don't see a whole lot wrong with asking those teams to wait a couple weeks to to play in the playoff if, when it comes to that, or giving them a couple weeks at the back end to further give themselves more wiggle room than they've already built into their schedule. If like the Pac-12 was going to play the first week of November and can somehow wrap up around around New Year's, and then you have the playoff selection happen two weeks later than you thought it was going to be, and then you just start the playoffs two weeks later than you thought it was going to be, it's asking a lot, and it's it's just all in the name of getting everybody on the same page. I don't think it will happen, but for the Big Ten's purposes, that gives you you know nine or ten weeks to play nine or yeah. 10 or 11 weeks, I guess, to play nine games than, than nine weeks to play nine games, which is obviously better. But I think the more more likely outcome is that the Big Ten has to try to fit all this into the window that it gave itself, which is a window with no wiggle room at all. And some teams are going to have games canceled. And it's very likely you can get to the end, and Ohio State's like 7-0 and or 8-0. and they, 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 They've missed a game for whatever reason, and they have to be compared to an Alabama team or a Georgia team that's 9-1. and and I don't know how that happens. I don't know how healthy it is to argue those hypotheticals. And the, the playoff committee people kind of said the same thing. It's like, we don't know what's going to happen. We'll figure it out when we get there, but we're not going to lose sleep over over that right now, which I think is kind of the right way to do it um, just because it's going to get so weird. You can't possibly anticipate what it's going to look like. But I do like that, in theory, we're going to learn a lot about where Ohio State is very early with this Penn State game coming in week two. And I even think, like, Micah Parsons, who opted out, is, is James Franklin is like lobbying publicly for him to come back. I'm not sure how that's going to work because Micah Parsons left, like opted out so early. I don't think he can use the argument that Kevin Warren said it was wasn't going to be revisited, like like Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis can. But even if he doesn't come back, like that to me is still a pretty big benchmark game for Ohio State. Do you agree or disagree with that? I mean, there has to be a benchmark because <laughs> if it's not, then what it is? Which one is it? You know, Maryland. Um, yeah, I'm on the road next week, the following week. But, you know, I do. I do. I hope that Micah Parsons can come back. That would be great. I, I want everybody to be uh, what they were before all this happened. And I don't know if I live in, like, some fantasy land, rainbows and unicorns type scenario in my brain. Maybe sometimes I do. But, like, every step that we take to get getting closer to that picture is a positive for me. And um, But, like, Penn State is the second or third most talented team in the entire conference. So... 
I don't I don't even know if there is a scenario where playing on the road at Beaver Stadium um, is as easy as it might be this year for Ohio State for various reasons, whether it's the lack of stands uh, being full or Micah Parsons potentially not playing. But that's still always like you see the white helmet on the schedule and it's like that's that's something that's circled every time. Like so absolutely is a benchmark because if it's not that one, then what is it? Yeah, it has to be that. You're not going to wait all the way till Like last year, I mean, last year it was like Wisconsin in the middle. But even that ended up being kind of lopsided in my opinion. And then it was like you just were sort of waiting till the end when they played Penn State and Michigan back-to-back. And you don't have to do that this year. And it's not quite the same. I, I just like Ohio State's always so much better than everybody they play. And then like you take the equalizer of having to go on the road and – the, the kind of energy that that can give a team trying to spring an upset. You just take that out of the equation. I just – I don't foresee any scenario short of losing key, key players on Ohio State's end that, that leads them to losing a game or even, frankly, some of these games being all that close this year. Even like at, at, like at Penn State with no crowd, what's the line in that game? Probably 10. Right? Like I, I think every, yeah. everything's double digits this year, right? Yeah. I mean, because it probably would have been seven without the fans, or with the fans, right? Yeah, maybe maybe a little lower maybe than that. Maybe six and a half. Yeah. Um. Yeah, maybe five. I don't. I don't know. I think that like anything less than double digits is an automatic Ohio State bet this year, no matter what. You and know, I just thought, the, I don't, the I don't cool know thing what about it is from watching football the last few weeks. Um, I think the greatest thing about it is that the viewer experience is fine still. Like I watched Miami Louisville the other night and I thought that that was like a fun game to watch. Um, but in terms of whether or not Ohio state um, is going to be impacted by playing on the road, they're not near. I, I've said this over and over again on this podcast, Penn state's got the best environment in college football that I've seen. And I haven't been to death Valley at night and there's some certain places in the sec that I haven't seen, but like, as far as stadiums that I've seen, that was the loudest, most intimidating place to play, um, at least in the Big Ten. So, you know, I, I I don't know how much of a factor playing on the road is anymore if there's no fans, like just getting on an airplane or getting on a bus or, you know, staying uh, in a different place that you're not used to, like have an impact on how you're going to play, or is it all fans to you? Like, because I still think that like playing on the road makes it a little bit tougher. Yeah, I mean, if it's there, if it's there, it's the like it's not playing at Maryland. Like, you can play at Disney World for all I care, but yeah, playing at Penn State it makes a difference. Um, no, but, what I'm saying though is, is that do you think that like just the idea of all the things you have to go through to get there makes it a little bit like does that like give the home team a little bit of an advantage even if there are no fans, like the traveling like the travel, the airplanes, like time zone shifts. But not that there is one in this case, but like just. You know the the act of traveling and maybe like the lag you might have from doing all those things, or are these just young, in shape, uh, talented young football players that once they're on the field, it's fine. Like I always felt like that stuff was kind of overrated. The one thing that's not overrated is Penn State's loudness. Yeah, I, I guess if it were a thing where like you were taking a multi multiple day bus trip to like Minneapolis or something like that, but no, even if you were busing to Penn State, it's still only a day. You have a, a, another day to get your legs back under you and be fine. So no, I don't, I don't think the like the logistics of it really have any kind of impact, especially with this schedule. That the Penn, well, I guess their farthest trip is Maryland, but even that's not that far. It's it's a one hour flight. It's a seven hour drive if you were to do that, but they'll fly. Um, so no, that doesn't come into play for this. It, it it's 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 the I guess there's if they were if they had a different makeup, um, I maybe I'd think a little differently. But they they have a lot of guys who've been around the block. Ohio State does, and like it would be Justin Fields' first time experiencing Beaver Stadium as a player, uh, as a visiting player, and that's not nothing for a quarterback experiencing it for the first time. But that's off the table now. It's like Justin Fields is going to be in a gigantic erector set with no people inside it. I think he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. It's just like I always like laugh because um, one of my good friends, uh, Rob Treya, hashtag uh, er, er, what is all day every day, all day every day at all day every day on Twitter, um, is really big on like gambling trends and like looks up data and stuff. And I was like really good at it. And like I remember last year, um, 
Navy played at Hawaii, and he's like, dude, that's like seven time zones. Just just smash Navy or Hawaii on this, and then Hawaii just lit them up. I think they put up 60 at home last year, or the last year or two years ago, and I just thought that was like super funny because it's just like he's like doesn't care in this instance about anything that's happening between the lines or like how the stadium is like or who's playing. It's just like the trap, yeah. the, the shirt. And like that is like flying from – here to london isn't it or that's maybe even further than that yeah to hawaii yeah yeah from the east coast yeah yeah (laughs) ohio state doesn't have to do that though ohio state has to go to champaign illinois i wish i wish it was in honolulu sometimes the road trip from columbus ohio to penn state could seem like the navigating uh, a voyage to hawaii so it's depending on the time of year it is and whether the the roads are slick like that's not an easy place to get to not that they have to deal with it but for us that was always kind of a, you know, we found ourselves in Altoona, Pennsylvania quite a bit or, you know, finding hotel rooms and all that stuff. It is quite the voyage. There are two things I thought about, like, related to that when I saw the schedule is, one, thank God they're not playing in State College in December. Um, it can snow early in State College, but but Halloween is typically around the time they go there, and it won't be, in theory, it won't be below zero. Like, it could be if they were playing there in December. And then the other thing was, every time they play at Michigan State, the weather is awful. And this year, they're playing at Michigan State on, like, December 7th. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's ever not snowed there. That's the funny thing, too, about some of these teams. And I don't know what it is, but I don't think I've ever been to Champaign, Illinois, where there's the sun was out in any fashion. It's always blistering cold and windy and gray. Yeah, at Illinois, it's going to be, like, a Friday night. It's going to be like 23 degrees and gusting up to 35 miles an hour. And then they're going to try to play football in that. And then Ohio State will win like 31 to 13. And it won't look all that great. And we'll all be freaking out about it. And it'll all just because the weather was terrible in Champaign like it always is. Is it a Friday? Or did you just make that up? No, I just made that up. But that's the one thing we don't know about the schedule yet is some of the, some or I think at least one of these games will be a Friday night. Someone also said... When when the decision to come back was first made, it might have been someone either Minnesota or Iowa like floated the idea of playing games on a Monday, which just sounds incredibly stupid. I don't I don't think that would happen, but I do think they're going to play some games on Friday nights. Um, and and it wouldn't surprise me if the opener. Remember they were going to put Ohio State and Illinois on a Thursday night. It wouldn't surprise me if the opener against Nebraska is actually Friday night, October twenty third, instead of the twenty fourth. Um, but that's just like TV stuff. It doesn't matter. Like like. The crowd is the crowd, and it's going to be 50 parents. So I don't think it matters all that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the cool thing, like I said, is the viewing experience is still great. Maybe they pump in some crowd noise or something, but it it uh, I think the schedule really worked out well for Ohio State in the way that, you know, at least they have one legitimizing situation <laughs> with Penn State early on regardless of how many games they win. I don't know if they need to see the Illinois and Maryland games to decide whether Ohio State's a playoff contender. And I think Gene Smith said last week, or I think what he said was important, that having been on the committee in the past and having, I think Gary Barta's on it now, um, the Iowa AD, um, that the eye test is going to be more. And, like, <laughs> Ohio State doesn't like to hear the eye test because it hasn't always won it. <laughs> but, you know, if they – if they win games big like we think they're going to, then I think that Ohio State will be in a pretty good position with the schedule that they put out. Yeah, I think obviously they they will too. And I do like like outside of Penn State and Michigan, which are always the two biggest games every year, unless they have a have a monster non conference game, which isn't the case this year. Like those are the two games that are going to tell you the most. But I also think that the only other two opponents they're playing this year that could possibly, I think, give you a little information about anything in terms of how good Ohio State is are are Nebraska and Indiana and I'm not saying that that I think those games are gonna be close I'm just saying like look at the talent and like track record and I think those are the the next two toughest opponents and they play three of those five three of the best four teams they play all come within the first five weeks and two of them are the first two games so I think that I think it works it's good for us that it works out that way I think we won't like starting with Rutgers I would be excited because it means football is back, but it wouldn't have a whole lot of juice to it. Like Nebraska, I think, is an interesting opener. And Penn State's obviously a great second game. And Indiana, I think, is interesting. And then you get to close it with Michigan. So I kind of like the balance of this. Yeah, I think that like even though I wrote this last year, I don't even think you agreed with it at the time. But like I think Nebraska's the f- fakest big game you can come up with. Because like, uh, the logo <laughs> is nice and 
they have Scott Frost and they're back, but like I just don't know how you can make up the discrepancy. Like I don't think that's even close to a good game. But if they win it big and they beat Penn State, then that's like a, the most impressive two and zero that you could come up with on paper. We're, I think, and it's a fake good two and zero, but it's a really good two and zero. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's an interesting two and zero. I I try to like dig deep into the games like that. It's like if Adrian or Adrian Martinez can kind of get back to what he was as a freshman and um like Wondell Robinson's still there right like and Ohio State's changes some stuff up in the secondary it's like you can watch AJ Martinez and Wondell Robinson against what they might do against Ohio State secondary and maybe learn something and like on the whole it's not a great matchup but you can dig into that a little, a little bit and I think find something out about Ohio State so I, I try to look for those kind of things in games where, where it's so clearly lopsided that you otherwise wouldn't get excited about it yeah that way you can do like a 1,900-word uh, story breaking right. down Sean Wade's footwork with thumbnails and that's right and GIFs and all the stuff. I say GIF, and people always say that's peanut butter, and I know. I'm like, I know. It's GIF. Is it GIF or GIF? It's GIF. Soft G. It depends on, it, it's, it depends on who you ask because I've been really I think the guy who invented GIF. it said it's a soft G, so I'll go with him. Isn't a soft G a YIF? It's a YIF. Yogging? Yogging. I think it's a soft J. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm. I'm a, are you at a? I'm, I'm going out of the limb here. I'm going to say uh, nine and zero. Yeah, big limb there, bud. Okay, okay, we're both on nine and zero. Let's take a break for one second. We'll come back and we'll talk about the most important position group on Ohio State's roster, not the offensive line and the quarterbacks. All right, we're back. So, like I said at the top of the show, the next few weeks leading up until the opener against Nebraska, we'll be breaking down a position group uh, just about every episode. We have 10 episodes and eight position, eight position groups to go through. So, there'll be two where we don't have them. But for the most part, you'll be hearing Ari and I breaking down one group moving forward. And we wanted to start with quarterback. I think it's the most obvious one to start with. It's also the one that kind of has the least amount of questions, I think. There's a lot. Yeah, the quarterbacks are very good. Um, the, mo- the most interesting thing is like what happens behind Justin Fields, I think. But there's also some – we talked about it on the last episode, like what's at stake for Justin Fields this year. And we don't have to rehash that. But what it is, you know, like the Heisman Trophy's back in play for him. That's one thing. But the idea to like position yourself like with, that, like with no doubt about it, the best quarterback this program's ever had is like on the table for him. And that's – you know, that's obviously not nothing. Um, but even – so – like I'm there, I'm I'm at a place where even though it is a shortened season, like if they go 11 and 0 and they win a national title, and Justin Fields is what we think he's going to be, like he's the guy. It's not close in my opinion. Does the idea that this season is so weird and will be shorter, like does that put an asterisk next to that next to that at all for you? If that is what happens, no, no, I think it's the the same thing that we said last week, Bill. Just the idea that you know he had never wavered in deciding whether to come back, despite the fact that he's one of two players in college football that had the best reason not to play um and not only that never leaving and um being the face of the uh charge to bring 10 football back and now that big 10 football is back being the face of the pro of the program the conference and potentially the sport if they go 9-0 and and potentially win a national championship this year I don't think you'll see anybody arguing about this now if you ask uh the the random question right now to random fans who do you think the best quarterback in ohio state history is you might get a lot of troy smith in there you might get a lot of jt you might get you know a lot of answers even rex kern and guys back in the old days but you get dwayne and braxton too i think dwayne braxton i mean i might even say braxton i don't know depending on what your definition of best is but if justin fields comes out and does exactly what we anticipate he's capable of doing or will do i think that you might change that answer for a lot of people, uh, for most people maybe. And I know that my assumptions of what people think have gotten me in trouble in the past, mm-hmm. so I don't want to speak for everybody, but I do think that like that would be my opinion. Um, and I still might even make it my opinion anyway because not everybody on that list has won a national championship. And what Justin Fields has done um, puts him in the same category as guys like Troy Smith and and all the other names from the recent Urban Meyer success at that position. So, you know, Cardale Jones and JT Barrett won a national title, so maybe that puts them in rare air for some people. But if Justin Fields does both and puts up those numbers and didn't bail on the team when he probably arguably could have, should have, mm-hmm. um, all that stuff takes uh, takes a huge shift into how you 
uh, view him. The, the question that I do have when it comes to quarterbacks, and it's the annual how long should they play in every game discussion. Yeah. During a time where corona is a thing, and again, I don't mean to make this part of the analysis, but I think it's a real part of it, so I'm going to. Does that impact the way that you deploy Justin Fields if you're Ryan Day? Like leaving him in games longer, and it's not even about risk of injury anymore. It's like you don't want him to get breathed on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know if that sounds weird, but like getting him out of action sooner to mitigate risk or the potential of him becoming sick. Well, there's a balance there for sure because, like I said at, at the beginning of or toward the beginning of the episode, I think every coach is operating this year under the assumption that they're going to have to play depth, whether that's a quarterback or anywhere else. So I do think you worry about what you're talking about and just like is it is it worth having Justin Fields out there for myriad reasons and, and I guess if you're worried about him catching COVID from an opponent, that would be one of them. Um, but yeah, you I also, mean, it just like – I didn't mean it to, to come across that way. I just mean like less action, less exposure equals good. I and mean, It doesn't matter who they're playing, where they're playing, whatever. Anytime you can limit the exposure to new people, you do it. And I'm not saying that other teams are not going to follow the protocols as well as Ohio State or implying that anybody is going to have a better risk. I just mean just in general doing everything you can to keep him out of harm's way, both from an injury standpoint and a COVID standpoint. Yeah, I think I think you weigh that. But you also have to you have to know what you have in C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller. And um, I'm forgetting the name of the other quarterback. Jack Miller, C.J. <laughs> no, Stroud. C.J. Stroud and Gunnar Hoke. I forgot Gunnar Hoke's <laughs> name. Um, we're getting back into this. We were we were prepared for a world without football. We're trying to we're trying to get back into the swing of things. Um, I think you need to know what you have in those three guys. Like all three of those guys need to play because it's not impossible that you encounter a week where Justin Fields can't play, and if and, and if it's for COVID reasons, like he can't play for three weeks. Um, so you need to have a contingency plans, and you need to know who your number two is. And um, I, I guess you figure that out over the course of camp. Um, but you can't really know, in my opinion, you can't really know unless you can get those guys on the field in competitive situations. So there's going to be a healthy balance of wanting to get Justin Fields out to protect him, wanting to get Justin Fields out to make sure that the guys behind him are ready if you ever need to call on them in the course of the season. But also, you're going to want to win your games pretty handily, um, about as handily as you can. And I know I don't think the playoff committee is going to look at a game against – Maryland, where Justin Fields leaves the game and it's forty-eight to nothing, and then when he's out in the game, it becomes like forty-eight twenty. But maybe some part of you would not even want to let that doubt creep into the mind of the people who are evaluating you, and you want to keep the pedal down as long as you can. So there's a lot going on there. I still think you err on the side of caution because Justin Fields is so good and he's so important. But you also need to be showing your best self out there more often than not. So I'm not totally sure how Ryan Day is going to balance all that. And there's probably a more delicate way to ask that question that, that we'll ask him over the course of the, of the ramp up to the season. But he knows that they have to play their depth and, and quarterback enters that equation too. So we'll see. Like I, I, I thought he – how would you categorize how they used Fields last year in terms of like when they pulled him out of games and how long he left them in games? And do you, oh, and do you think they'll like be more I'm pondering how bad I want to piss people off right now. Why do you, you never ponder that before? Why would you ponder that now? I think that they did an okay job. I, did, I think they could have been better. I, I think that the f- way that he got injured at the end of the Penn State game was a really bad look for Ryan Day. I think yeah. that was the worst decision he had all year. Yep. Having him in the game in that position to do that, I don't know how extreme I want to get, but that really, really, really hurt them. I mean, all through the course of their season. Who yeah. knows what happens no, if know. Justin Fields is healthy against Clemson. I didn't want to say that decision impeded on their chance to win a national championship because I don't know if I believe that, but maybe it did. I don't know. So, like, the idea of how do they handle it, you could handle that situation 99.9% perfectly if nothing ever happens, but in that 0.1% that something does happen, it changes the entire rest of the ninety nine point nine. Yeah, and I think that's what happened last year. Now it could have been worse. He couldn't have. He might not have played, and like maybe that would have, you know, changed the Michigan game and changed what happened after the Michigan game. Because I thought that his season had come to an end in the moments after his first injury at Michigan, and then he came in out and did something that you know will remember as one of the coolest plays that you've ever covered. Um, but 
Justin Fields' health against Clemson is more important than his reps against Maryland, in my opinion. Yeah. And, like, that is always like a – this has been my opinion since Braxton. Like, I've always felt this way. If Ohio – I don't think there's a difference to the playoff committee between 54 to nothing against Illinois and 54-21 against Illinois if they watch the game. And the reason why it's 54-21 is because the second string or third string let them score in the second half. The committee watches it. I test means beating the shit out of Penn State. It doesn't mean blowing out Maryland by 14 or 21 more than you would have. Yeah. So, like, I test is scoring a ton of points and looking really good against big-time opponents in the games that everybody's watching, not piling on the points against teams that have, are defenseless. So, like, to me, this is a very important year for Justin Fields for all the things that you just mentioned, but it's an instrumentally important year for C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller to figure out the future of the program and to get those guys enough experience where something weird happens with contact tracing or COVID that you have a quarterback that you could feel good about to get them through the stretch of the season um, and potentially be ready for if something terrible happens in the playoff um, more so than it is to pad Jack uh, Justin Fields stats, especially during a year where Heisman Trophy voting might actually come down to less stats than it ever has before. And like, if one player has seven games or one player has 11 games, like you can't look at stats at that point. I guess you can average them out based on per game numbers, but it's just really funny to me that I test um, is going to mean the most during a year where it means the less, the least because <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of weird things that are going to happen. So um, long winded answer to your short question is I thought they were fine last year and keeping them in certain situations, but I am less risk adverse, and I would pull him the second Ohio State's up 24 or more in any scenario in any quarter. Do you think I, – I don't think that will happen exactly, but do you think they'll yeah. be more cautious with him this year than they were last year? What was the situation again? I can't remember. What was the situation against Penn State? Were they up by, like, 10? I think they were up They were up two scores for sure. They were up two scores, and they were throwing with two minutes left, and somebody rolled up on his knee? So – they were in field goal range, but Ryan Day didn't want to kick because he had nightmares about the blocked field goal and Beaver Stadium um, before that. So it was 28-17 in the fourth quarter. So it's an 11-point game. It's a two-score game, and he didn't want to kick a field goal and risk it getting blocked. I think there were like two minutes left. So in theory, like Penn State could have blocked the field goal, ran it back and scored, got the onside kick and scored again. Like it was a highly improbable scenario, but I think that's that's like what his it was his explanation. They were going forward on fourth and five, I think, just to try to ice the game and not give Penn State the ball. And he rolled ball out, back, which I don't, which I don't disagree with offhand. But the idea that you'd have Justin Fields, who is prone to holding on to the ball a long time and scrambling and trying to extend plays, throw in that situ- situation, I thought was was kind of a bad decision. So yeah, he rolled out and he got like tracked down from behind, and it looked like he landed on the ball and like the wind knocked out of him. But it turned out he he had injured his knee a little bit. So would he? It was should he have been in the game? I don't have a problem with him being in the game. I have a problem calling a pass on fourth and five in that situation. Yeah. And like a really good offensive line and JK Dobbin just run the ball. And I understand that like if nothing happened and he just fell normally and then walked off the field like that, we wouldn't even have this discussion right now, but that's the entire point of why we talk about it because that happens, you know, and the odds of that happening two years in a row are probably very, very small. But if Ohio state has a game iced, um, take them out. But I do also understand that, my opinion of game iced and Ryan Day's opinion of game iced are different. Like, if you know the game's yeah. over with, um, as a fan or reporter, that's the threshold for game over is a little bit different for a coach because I think they think worst-case scenarios in their head the entire time. Yeah, but there's I, I do think the backup element is a different pieces because even last year, it's like, oh, we want to we want to take Justin out to protect him. And it's like, well, you're putting in Gunnar Hoker, you're, you're putting in um, – I forgot the other kid's name now. Who's the kid from Rutgers, from Jersey, who transferred in from West Virginia? Bill, I don't even remember. How I, I wrote a story about him. I can't remember his name. I'm 31 years old. I'm losing all my memory. Chugs, <laughs> Chris Chuganoff. Wait, he's Chris Chuganoff. You have good. Wait, he's still on the team. No, no, no. I'm talking about last year. Like I'm talking about like the process of deciding when to pull your quarterback. I'm making a joke. And la- and last year it was like Chugs or Gunner Hoke. 
and you're putting those guys in to get work. But I also think in the back of your mind, you know, like if you ever felt left yourself in a situation where one of those two guys has to play, your season's over. If you are left in a situation where CJ Stroud or Jack Miller have to play, you still have a shot. Right. So like you want to, you want those guys to be ready to play. So that might lead Ryan Day to maybe pull Justin Fields a little earlier, if only to get those potentially very important players on the field with some some, some experience. It's like a really tough. Yeah, for sure, it makes a hundred percent sense. In fact, I think you could even make the argument of playing CJ Stroud or Jack Miller in early in games before they're put away. And I know that's a little bit nuts too, but like they're playing Illinois, I'd. I'd Roll CJ Stride out there in the first quarter, see what happens. I don't know. I don't, know if, I'd, I don't know if I'd make it that extreme. I don't think I'd make it that extreme. But I also I wouldn't hesitate to pull Justin Fields out in the first half if it's like thirty five to nothing. The one thing I would not do is play Hoke over either of them. I agree. Apologies to any Hokes who might be listening. Uh, but it's I just agree. in terms of it's not a personal attack. It's just in terms of the future of the program, what makes the most sense. And, like, unless they determine that Gunnar Hoke is head and shoulders better than Stroud and Miller and is their backup quarterback um, in the event that Fields can't go for any reason, you you go with the two freshmen. Because there's still not just that. The most important battle is between Stroud and Miller for the future of the program. So it's not just about this year. It's about determining what the future of the program is going to look like at the most important position. So there's a lot to find out there and a lot of, you know, interesting scenarios. So, um you know, I, I also understand too that I'm sure that Ryan Day is like loves Justin Fields like a son right now, and like will be forever appreciative of like the sacrifices that he made both personally and professionally to stick around and be a part of this football team. When again, I think everybody on earth uh, would have understood him leaving, um, and you the temptation to help him get a Heisman or to up his draft stock as little as maybe that could be at this point, but. You want him to achieve his goals now because he's doing this. And, like, I understand, too, it's not always as easy as pull him at halftime, don't let him play anymore because you want him to throw as many touchdowns and to make as many plays as possible because you want him to win a Heisman. He deserves it. And I think he's the favorite, potentially. I, didn't, I don't know if Trevor Lawrence did anything the other day. I just saw it was like 39 nothing with a minute to go uh, in the first quarter or something like that in the Clemson-Citadel game. But, like, this is a two-horse race, right? Yeah, I think for for the most part we'll see. The SEC gets on the field this week, so we'll see if anybody pops early there. But I think it's I think the expectation would be that it's field or Lawrence and Fields and like Spencer Rattler was really good against Missouri State, and I think they play Iowa State this week. Um, so that's a that's a bigger opponent for him. But yeah, I think those two guys are at the top of, of the of the race for sure. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I think this might be one of those scenarios where. You look at this depth chart, and then in five years from now, if C.J. Stroud is a – not five, or three years from now, C.J. Stroud's a Heisman finalist and Jack Miller is um, leading Florida <laughs> to uh, a national championship race, or you flip the scenario. I'm not implying one's leaving and one isn't, but, you know, it, this is a very good quarterback room, and you might have three really good players who all make a mark in the sport um, eventually in the next three to four years. Um, and you might just go, well, look at Ohio State's depth chart the way that we do now with uh, Haskins, Burrow, and um, J.T. Barrett and Braxton Miller. So with the understanding that it's a shorter season and the numbers just aren't going to be as good as they were last year, what does growth look like for you for Justin Fields this season? Growth for me is personality and passion. And I think we talked a little bit about this last week, but growth for me is turning into the face of the sport. We already know he's really good. We already know he can make any throw on the field that he needs to make. Um, I think that, you know, holding onto the ball a little bit too long is something that you'd want to see improved or maybe not taking unnecessary hits or doing things that you might um, not think is smart. But to me, what I want to see is I want to see that fiery uh, Cam Newton-like way of playing and it's like really funny because you made that tweet this week you tweeted retweeted like cam newton holding justin fields at like one of the instructional camps saying this is the best thing in high school football and um it's just like i watched sunday night football last night and i just like love cam swag and i feel like if you're that good and you're as good as justin fields is um you have earned the right to lean into that role a little bit and like making the game fun not that he didn't have fun last year. That's not the implication. The implication is that I think he 
he could add a little bit more fire to his game in terms of passion and outward um, presence. And that isn't even a criticism. That's just like something that I hope to see from him because he deserves it yeah. and he earned it. Yeah, I think it's it's about growing just a little more comfortable with who you are. And we talked about that last week. That the way, I think we both feel like he is trending in that direction. Um, from like a pure football standpoint, I'm with you. I like to see the ball come out a little quicker. Uh, I'm very curious to see how the passing game grows from last year, whether or not they maybe implement some more play action stuff, um, whether or not they use the middle of the field a little more. Because he was, he was put in some favorable, favorable positions by Ryan Day. Ryan Day's play calling and he executed at a really high level, so so good for him. But there's a level of um, sophistication, I think, to the position that he can still grow into. That that I think is going to happen this year, and I'm just excited to see to see what that looks like. Um, and he talked about working with Ryan Day and like his mechanics and the time that they were off and weren't sure if they were going to have a season. Um, and, and those days they got together, and that was that was interesting to me. Like I got my antennas up a little bit. I'm curious to see what that might look like. He's got all the talent in the world. Um, there's just little things that any any player can refine, and I'm, I'm I'm very curious to see how he refined those things and how in turn the offense might might evolve a little bit because Don't of you that. need to see an improvement on his uh um drop back footwork and you know bending the knee at the right angle and i think you got some sort of like pro football focus breakdown for us no i mean i'm not i don't i don't pretend to be something that i'm not no i know um, but i think you're so, really smart with so, that stuff i'm just giving you an opportunity to let to let the x's and o's knowledge fly here man well, I thought I did the thing where I charted every throw he made last year, and I thought he really grew over the course of the season with some of the throws that he made. So he's on the right track. It's just like he hasn't played competitive football in a very long time, or he will not have played competitive football in a very long time by the time they get on the field on October 24th. So like maintaining all that and building off of it I think is difficult when you're, when you're off for that long. So maybe there'll be some rust to knock off. Maybe there won't be. But when he gets to like the fully formed version of Justin Fields in his second year as a starting quarterback in college football – be pretty scary, and I'm excited to see. What if it looks you were like. the head coach of a college program and I was in charge of the recruiting um, plan, how many games do you think we'd win by year three? Well, you'd go out and recruit a bunch of uh, five star receivers, and I'd run a one one to run the wing <laughs> tee. So probably not that many. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go to recruiting real quick before we wrap this up. We've got a few minutes left, um, and I just had kind of this basic question for you. You're a national recruiting writer now. I think you have a gauge of how this goes. <laughs> for the entire country as a whole and maybe can put Ohio State in some context because of that. The NCAA announced last week um, on the same day that the schedule came out that the recruiting debt period was going to extend through the end of this year. So through January 1, no on-campus visits, no in-person contact for recruits or coaching staffs. Big deal, medium deal, small deal for a school like Ohio State that's pretty far down the road with this 2021. I don't think it's that big of a deal at all for Ohio State. I'd say medium maybe, right? Because to me, the most important or the easiest, the most important thing to say is that it's the easiest to recruit at the top. When you're Ohio State, you're not taking players 500 through 1,000. You're taking players 100 to 300, and mostly 100 to 200, um, or 1 to 200. So what they half their class is rated in the top 120. Um, and those players are the easiest to evaluate because the most talented um players are the easiest to identify so like from that standpoint um the evaluation thing is the hardest thing that hit these colleges without um having these summer camps or a lot of these opportunities to like break down film and footwork and all the things that i like to teach you about um it's harder to evaluate those players in the middle of the of the the course now there are certain players like will come to mind like um jc latham is one and Tristan Lee and some of these guys that Ohio State could have benefited greatly from having back on campus before decisions are made, and even two um, of their best, uh, most important targets in the 2021 class still are in Seattle area, and they can't come. So, like in terms of like closing it out on top, I think this is going to have an impact. But in terms of the thing that I think will really hurt middle tier programs, evaluations and feeling good about the players you are taking. I think programs like Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are in the clear because it's so abundantly clear who they're going to take, if that makes sense. So, yeah, you know, they've got to keep recruiting digitally. I think Ohio State has the ability and the platform to um, explain what it is without having people on campus. And they have gotten commitments from players who have yet to um, see the place in person. And I think that, like, you kind of get an idea of what you're going to get by going. But I feel bad for the teams that – 
needed those evaluation camps and needed to you know have local players or players that live further away come on campus and to have that time. But you know, as I wrote last week with Brody Miller, LSU writer, uh, these kids now are going to campuses and seeing them for themselves, and getting a vibe for the place without the coaching staff. And LSU did it, uh, Oklahoma did it, and even though the coaches aren't around or aren't allowed to FaceTime during these visits, um, they can talk to these coaches as much as possible digitally, which gives a more thorough relationship. And on the other hand, they can go see whatever they want to see. You can't stop people from traveling if they want to travel. So, you know, some families have the means to do that and some don't. Um, The lack of official visits is going to really limit the ability for players to get on an airplane and fly from California to Knoxville or Gainesville or Columbus, and that's going to be tough. But the fact of the matter is Ohio State has a recruiting board it feels really good about its recruiting board and what it gets in terms of a commitment um, they can feel good about, whereas other teams might be taking players they're not even sure are the caliber of player they need to be successful, all because they don't have the proper valuations, especially considering the fact that some of these players are playing in states that don't have high school football, and they're not even going to get a, a final season. So um, not a disaster for Ohio State, not ideal for Ohio State, but you know certainly not in a position that it's going to be felt the way it will at other places. It puts them in an interesting position with some guys. There, there are three guys in the class, um, Trevion Henderson, Denzel Burke, and Tyleek Williams, who've never visited Columbus. And I, I don't know what this might change in those recruitments. I would feel pretty good about Henderson either way. He just seems like he's he's been like on board with this from from the jump, even though he's never been here. Maybe Denzel Burke, because he's from far away in Arizona, is a little different. And, and Tyleek Williams... I think is firm, depending on what might happen with some other defensive tackle stuff, but, but they need him, so I, I would be surprised if he was someone they end up losing too. But I think the big one, when you think about not having visits that everyone sort of jumps to, is, is JT Tuomalau, the, the five-star defensive end from uh, Seattle or outside of Seattle. And he's a hard person to get a read on. As far as I can tell, he only talks to one person, one recruiting writer. Um, it's Brandon uh, Huffman from 247 Sports. I've never really seen him quoted anywhere other than in those stories. But I did talk with JT's high school coach um, maybe two weeks ago for a story that I wrote. It was on the athletic last week or the week before about Ohio State and Alabama competing for the number one class. And JT's involved in that because Alabama is after JT as well. And, and I just got a really good vibe for where Ohio State stood. And the fact that Ohio State could be that well positioned in his recruitment without him ever being here tells me just how well they've done communicating over zoom so i'm not i'm not ready to say that like extending the dead period through the end of the year changes ohio state's positioning with him and he's the most important guy remaining on their board um i think they're still in good shape with them Buka. Taiwan malone um if he was even going to come here i think is impacted by not having visits tristan lay i don't think was going to come here anyway but jt and tui maloa and, and Ibuka, i think are the two that are at the front of everyone's mind and and i'm not sure just this changes anything on ohio state's end because I just don't think the main threats to Ohio State for those guys were like the schools closest to them, like the Washingtons and the Oregons. So um, the fact that they're staying home or have to stay home for an extended period of time and can't get out and see places sucks for them because I wish they would get the all the information they want to make a decision. But in the end, I would still feel pretty good about where Ohio State stands with both of them. And now I'm going to push down the um – desire to yell about the importance of keeping kids home because this isn't the right time or place for that just swallow yeah. it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll save that for the for the west coast uh, pac-12 podcast yeah have me on a guest right now i'll go 25 minutes on how washington's letting the opportunity of a lifetime slip through their fingertips <laughs> yeah if it, if it makes you if if, if you want to fire up even more uh jt tui malala's high school coach went to washington <laughs> yeah, no, top they got the top ten what they've got three top ten players in America all in one city and none of them or only one of them's going to Washington. And the thing about it too that's so sad is that they've got I'm doing it, Bill. Stop. Just stop. They got the quarterback. <laughs> okay, well, we, we can't let you go on a rant about Washington's recruiting when no, we're already they, over time. They got the bit. quarterback. Now they have an opportunity to get the defensive tackle and the receiver. They might that those three guys could be the key to making the playoff for them. New uh, new win totals out for the Big Ten this year. Let's run through them real quick. Sports sports betting dot sports betting dot ag Ohio State eight and a half. I'm really 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 shocked to hear that. <laughs> uh, Penn State seven and a half. Michigan six and a half. Indiana five and a half. Bill, you want me to put one in for you I don't know. on Indiana? 
I'll put one in there on, on Six Windiana. Yeah. <laughs> Six Windiana. Um, I, think I, I think I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good show. That one felt like that was our first normal feeling podcast in a long time. Yeah, we could talk about football again, which is great. So, um, with the moving forward, we'll be back later in the week with a subscriber Q&A. Again, the athletic.com slash four dash six gets you $1 per month, and you can sign up and you'll see uh, an opening there to ask us questions for, for the show later in the week. And also, if you leave a five-star Apple review with a question, we'll get to that as well. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later in the week.